Something that we keep kind of coming back to in our study here is the fact that as all this is happening, God is always seeking to protect his own. And for each one of you, what I want to remind you is that in life, there is all sorts of temptations. There is all sorts of things that we can involve ourselves in. But God is a refuge and he wants us as his kids to flee to him as the refuge. Some days it seems like everything you have to deal with is a test of your patience, of your ability to tolerate mean people or to just get through the day. The good or bad news is that everybody has those days. What Pastor Daniel will be sharing today is that God's there too as you deal with all that stuff. Pastor Daniel's going to let you know that God wants to use these events to get you to rely on him to overcome those crazy days. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in the book of Revelation, chapter 9, as he continues his message, Locusts and Angels. Everybody loves discussions of gender-inclusive language, and everyone gets all mad in the Bible where it says, you know, brethren, they say, what about the women? Well, guess what? I always say that, you know, back in the day when they say mankind, they meant both people, and so includes here too. So you ladies are not off the hook. Here, for the torment of the demons, scorpion, locust, it's the downside of it all. So when it says men, it means men and women. Okay? So everyone knows that. It always means that in the scriptures. Does that make sense? Back in the day, they weren't concerned about those things in the same way that we are now. And so I always like to remind people that when it says brethren, it means brothers and sisters. And here, when it says that these demons, scorpion, locusts are going to torment men, it means men and women. All the sisters said, no, thank you, Pastor Daniel. You're welcome. <laughs> Just keep, we're leveling the playing field, people. We're keeping it honest all day, every day. Now, what's interesting here, and what makes this so challenging, is by the time you get to verse 5, what you learn here is that they have not been given authority to kill people, but that they should be tormented for five months, like the torment of when a scorpion, when it strikes a person. Anyone here ever gotten bit by a scorpion? Okay, there's like two hands up. How much fun was that? Terrible. Yeah. But it went away because we have some good medicine. So imagine that feeling for five months. Okay. Anybody want to be there? No. Praise God. Now, here's the deal. I want to say this right now because sometimes people say, you know what I don't like about the Bible? It's like, I don't like the fact that God is trying to scare us into heaven. And I'm like, but you know what? It's actually a good thing because certain things are scary. Like, when you go to the doctor, and the doctor's like, look, if you don't make lifestyle changes, all this stuff's going to break down. He's not just trying to be fear-mongering. He actually cares, or she cares about you enough to say, listen, you need to change your life, or else bad stuff goes down. And so I love the fact that God tells us what could come in the future if we reject his grace. I love that he tells us and honest about us. It'd be way worse if he was dishonest about us. Like, oh, listen, it doesn't really matter if you believe in my son. It's going to be fine for you either way. No, he's like, listen, 
You want to believe in Jesus because you do not want to be there when the fifth trumpet sounds and the demon scorpion locust comes around. And because you've rejected Jesus, you're not going to have the seal on your head. And then you're going to get stung by these demon scorpion locusts, however they pull this thing off, and you're going to be tormented for five months. So my doctor said, hey, Fusco, you got five months of torment, or I can give you this thing. It will help you. What do you think I'm going to do? I'm taking that thing. And I'm not going to listen to the crazy people on the internet who tells us it's going to make us grow horns and all that stuff. I'm going to take that thing. <laughs> like, I'm not going to argue about it. It's like, I do not want the five months of torment. Thank you very much. And any sane, rational person will do that. So listen, if you're here today and you're a believer, you should praise God that he wants to deliver us from this. And if you're not a believer, this is one of the reasons you should be. Because God's saying, listen, you do not want to have to go through what this is. Now, it's so bad that it says in verse 6 that in those days, people will seek death and they won't find it. There will be the desire to die, but death will flee from them. I don't even know what to say about that. I just read it. We'll just move on. Okay, it's like, this is how bad this is. And then it starts talking about the way the locusts look. And you see all of this really symbolic language, right? Like it says, the shape of the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. Does anybody ever see a locust the size of a horse? (laughs) Exactly. And not only that, it tells us that their heads, there was something like a crown that was gold and their faces were like human faces, faces of people. And their hair was like women's hair, which I could only assume means silky and luxurious, full-bodied. Actually, I don't know that. I'm just being facetious. (laughs) And their teeth were like lion's teeth. So obviously in the Abuso, there's not good orthodontics and dentistry. (laughs) Okay, I'll keep moving. I'm trying to have some fun in the midst of how horrible this is. And it says they're wearing breastplates, breastplates are iron, and the sound of their wings were like the sound of chariots with many horses running into battle. And then their tails were like scorpions and the stings of their tails. And there was the power to hurt men for five months. So you have this really vivid picture. Now, some people right away say, oh, this is a picture of modern warfare. But we realize it really can't be because we already know that they're like, it's coming out of the bottomless pit. So depending on how you want to look at it, or it could be that John is seeing a vision and the vision is just simply meant to be symbolic. It's not actually meant to be to point to something specific. He's seeing demonic activity. Now, one of the things that I realize that for all of us or for most of us, we live in a world, and especially in our day and age, that we don't really think too much about the spiritual realm. And for really all of us in this generation, we've been nurtured in the soup of kind of a worldview that we base things on evidence, And if you studied philosophy at all, I remember I studied philosophy in college, I spent half my life reading it still, just to get the different ways that people think, you realize that that is a very new addition to the world, and there's all sorts of things that we want evidence of that we don't have evidence for. I'll give you a simple example. I know that my mom loved me, but because my mom has passed away, I have no actual proof of it. Like when you see a painting and you're like, it's beautiful, Do you have any proof that it's beautiful? Now, you could study it. You know, if you're a photographer, you know, like, all the different laws that make a photo beautiful or whatever it is. But all of that is still greatly subjective. When I hear a piece of music and all of a sudden that music impacts me deeply, I can't prove that. I just know what I experienced. So right from there, at the basic level, 
The whole, like, I will only believe something if I can see it, it goes out the window. All of us don't live in a purely evidentiary-based way of looking at the world. But our culture demands it. But I'm going to tell you, it's already intellectually dishonest when we try and do that. So what I will tell you is what I do know is that we live in a physical world, and there is a spiritual world that presses into this physical world. And it presses it in all different ways. And if you read the Gospels, it was an uptick in demonic activity during Jesus' first coming, the first advent of Jesus. And what we find at Jesus' second coming, there's going to be another uptick, where there's going to be a ton of demonic activity. Now, what I believe that we should do as believers is I don't believe we should be looking for demonic activity around every corner, but we also shouldn't pretend like it doesn't happen. Does that make sense? And what we also have within some segments of the church, and I love the body of Christ, and I'm happy to be a part of it, but I also believe that part of my job as a teacher is to help us understand what we're seeing, is that sometimes the church gets kind of demonic obsessed. And every time something bad happens, it's always demonic. It's like, no, sometimes something bad happens because you did something dumb. (laughs) Like my son Obadiah always tells me, you play stupid games, you get stupid prizes. Like Satan doesn't have to do anything. You're already doing that to yourself. And so when that happens, we're not going to blame the enemy for dumb stuff that we do. Does that make sense? And just because someone disagrees with you does not mean that it's a demonic attack because sometimes we need to be disagreed with because we all live in this world and we're all wrong sometimes. Can I get an amen? Amen. But oftentimes, because we are not looking for demonic around every corner, we shouldn't pretend that there's not all sorts of spiritual things that are going on that we may not be conscious of at all. And so we always need to strike that biblical balance of what are in the knobs on my side of the wall and what are just spiritual dynamics that I'm not even aware of. And we need to pray through those things. We need to seek God on those things. And we see that here. Now, with all that being said, of course, we also realize that these aren't literal locusts because it says in verse 11, and they had as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, but in Greek his name is Apollyon. Now, what's interesting is Proverbs chapter 30, verse 27, tells us specifically the locusts have no king, but they still advance in ranks. And I remember the first time I read that, and I'm like, why are they telling us that? Sometimes I wonder is because right here in Revelation 9, we hear about these locusts, but they have a king. So you automatically realize, okay, these aren't actual physical locusts, but they're being you know, expressed in these ways. And that name, Abaddon or Apollyon, it literally means destruction or the destroyer or the one who places ruin. And really what we realize is that at this point, there are these angels who fell in Satan's rebellion against God who is being reserved for this time, for the fifth trumpet, so that they can be unleashed to do damage in the world, okay? Now, moving on, Because the sixth trumpet doesn't get any more fun for us. Listen to what it says in verse 13. It says, Then the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying that the sixth angel who had the trumpet released the four angels who were bound at the great river Euphrates. For the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. Now the number of the army of the horsemen was 200 million. I heard the number of them. And thus I saw the horses in the vision who sat on them had breastplates of fiery red, 
hyacinth blue and sulfur yellow. And the heads of the horses were like the heads of lions and out of their mouth came fire, smoke, and brimstone. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone which came out of their mouths. For their power is in their mouth and in their tails, for their tails were like serpents having heads, and with them they do harm. Look at the person on the other side say, good night. There you go. What does this teach us? The sixth trumpet teaches us that there's angels that bring three plagues. There's angels that bring these three plagues. Remember, at the end of the fifth, they said that the first woe was passed. We have two more. And then what we do is we move into the sixth trumpet, and now there's this release of these kind of these four angels. There's a voice that comes, and it says, release the four angels who are bound in the great river Euphrates. And then these angels go on out with these 200 million horsemen, which are not normal horsemen because they have serpent tails that have heads on it. And there's these three plagues, fire, smoke, and brimstone. And you see what I'm doing here? I'm not trying to read too much into this. I'm like, what is it saying and what does this mean for us? But what's interesting now is that, remember in the fifth trumpet, how it says that the people are going to be tormented. Now, these angels with these three plagues and these 200 million horsemen, now we have people dying. So you see here that there's a certain number of people who are going to be killed by them. A third of humankind, it says. Now, if you look at that in kind of context, of course, we already had seen that a quarter of the population was killed under the fourth horseman of the four seals. So then you had like 75% of the population when this all began was wrath. Now you take another third of that, and so now you have kind of like 50% of the population is left. So you find that in these trumpet judgments, there's just a lot going on. Now, what's interesting is that the idea of the river Euphrates becomes very fascinating to me. Because how many of you guys remember from like world history, they said that Mesopotamia was the cradle of civilization. Some of you remember that? I don't know if they still teach that because I know they teach all sorts of different things. All the things I learned in school was wrong. Now they have all the right stuff that they're teaching. Everybody knows that, right? All the students are like, it's so true. We don't know anything about them, you know. But what's interesting is the river Euphrates is also one of the rivers that you find all the way back in the Garden of Eden. So the idea here, if you think about it, is that humanity began in this area, the Garden of Eden, where there's these four rivers, the Euphrates rivers is one of them. And we keep coming back to this idea of the Euphrates River over and over and over again. And by the time you get to the sixth bold judgment, listen to this. This is Revelation chapter 16, verse 12. It says, then the sixth angel poured out the bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up so that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. So what's interesting is first, the sixth trumpet, these four angels have been hanging out there. That's like their hood. I don't know what it is. But before you know it, they come. And then by the time you get to the sixth bowl judgment, then the river gets dried up to prepare the way of the kings of the east for that last battle that we call Armageddon, which is literally means in the valley of Megiddo. Like the, in Hebrew, the word har means mount or mountain. So when you think of Armageddon, it's actually a place. It's not like a necessarily a happening. Now, what's interesting here is I think what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, verse 22, where he says, but unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Now, I love that. It's something that we keep kind of coming back to 
in our study here is the fact that as all this is happening, God is always seeking to protect his own. And for each one of you, what I want to remind you is that in life, there is all sorts of temptations. There is all sorts of things that we can involve ourselves in. But God is a refuge, and he wants us as his kids to flee to him as the refuge. And I think one of the great, it's not even a technique, but it is, one of the great realities of being a child of God is when you learn the art of when times of temptation or compromise come to flee into the strong tower that is our Lord. I always think of Jesus when he, in his first time, he's like, he's like, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I wanted to protect you like a mother hen protects her little ones. How I wanted to put you under the shadow of my wings. And I'm here to tell you, the heart of God for each one of you is exactly the same. And I realize all of us, I mean, we look at our lives, we find ourselves in all sorts of places, like, I can't believe I'm here. How did I get here? How did I get back here? But God is always saying, will you come and flee to me as your strong tower, as your walled city, as that refuge for your soul? And I just believe with all that's going on in the world, even if you don't have like kind of these unique struggles that are happening, we live in a world that is so increasingly aggressive that I find that if we do not flee into the refuge of our heavenly father in a world full of aggressiveness, we're going to become more aggressive people. And I'm here to tell you, Jesus is not inviting us to be aggressive. He's inviting us to be strong, but meek. Strength under control. Anytime someone is aggressive, that's strength what? Out of control. Now, someone's bound to say, well, Fusco, what about Jesus overturning tables in the temple? And I always answer the same way. You ain't Jesus. (laughs) Like... (laughs) If you're, throw, if you're overturning tables, I'm pretty sure you're not righteously indignant. You just have anger management issues. <laughs> Jesus can do that. Most of us can't. Now, maybe there might be one of you who can, but don't think you're that one. We have to realize that we need to abide under the shadow of the Almighty. That's what the psalmist said. And I just want to encourage you, as we're studying this, and we realize that Assuming that these things are yet future, which, you know, like I've never seen 200 million horsemen with heads on their tails killing a third of humanity. I've never seen that yet. I can't find a reference to that in history. As we find our world spiraling towards a more aggressive world, I think God is inviting us to be peacemakers and more kind, strong. And listen, I always like to tell people that meekness is not weakness. You know, I learned that from, I learned that from my bride, Lynn. My bride, Lynn, is the kindest. She's textbook meekness. If there was like a picture in the dictionary of meekness, it'd be my bride. But I remember when we first got married, we lived in my home state of New Jersey. Lynn's from California. And what I tell you is that the Jersey girls, they strong people. They socialize you to be like fierce women, which is a great thing. But I remember they meet Lynn and they're like, oh man. Like, she's got to get run over around here. But what's beautiful is my wife is meek, strong, but still so kind. And I remember, like, about six months in, there was a situation that went on, and some of the, uh, the fangs came out with some of the ladies. You know what I'm talking about, how that happens? Like, all the mama bears come out together. Yeah! And Lynn was so kind, and one of the ladies was like, man, 
your wife's meekness is not weakness. I'm like, oh, no. But I really believe that that's what God wants us to become. And if you find yourself struggling with that, because it is a delicate balance, how do we be meek but not cowardly? How do we be strong but yet still kind? And we realize our culture can't teach us, but the Son of God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, he has already shown us the way. He has already done it. He has already given us his spirit to do that. So as we see all this, I just want to encourage you. Say, Lord, make me gentle and lowly, meek like Jesus in a world that is becoming more aggressive. Now, we find, again, that these three plagues, a third of humanity is killed. And again, the smoke, the brimstone, and the fire. And I made the case earlier that, remember when God judged the world through a flood with Noah, you know, he made that promise, I'll never judge the world by a flood again. And that's why when you see a rainbow in the sky, it's God's reminder. Remember, the rainbow is always pointed upward. The bow of rainbow, the color is always pointed upward. Why? Because God is saying, I will protect you. I got you. But when God judges in the end at the return of Jesus, it will be with fire. And that's why we keep seeing this idea of fire and brimstone going on. Now, I want you to see how people respond, people who are alive, because I left off this last little section here on purpose. Because look at what it says in verse 20. How do people respond to the fifth and sixth trumpets? But the rest of mankind, verse 20, who were not killed by these plagues, did not repent of the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, and stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. And really, as I kind of landed here, because like, you would think like with all this going on, I mean, horrific things. I mean, I try and imagine myself there. And I'm like, like, how do you respond? And really what you find is that the people who are alive who these things don't kill, instead of repenting, they harden their hearts. And really what I just kind of landed on is, brothers and sisters, you and I, we need to turn away from our wickedness. Because what's going on, it's almost as if God expects that in the face of all of these things that the people who are alive are going to turn away like, man, i got to worship the true God and not these idols that I've created. I'm going to worship God and not the work of my own hands. And you know what? I'm going to bend my ways. I'm going to turn away from the murders. The word sorceries is literally the word pharmakia, which we get the word pharmaceutical from. So people say it should be drugs or the idea of sorcery from our sexual immorality and from our thefts. And I'm like, man, God is always looking for people to turn from their wickedness in the way that we're going and turn to him. Jesus is Demons, scorpion, locusts, demons released from the pit, hundreds of millions, maybe billions of people killed. This is some crazy stuff that Pastor Daniel has been teaching on, isn't it? But the important point that Pastor Daniel has been trying to convey is that God still, even after all of the rebellion and turning away that mankind's done, wants to see all of mankind return to a right relationship with him through his son, Jesus. 
Hey everyone, there's a lot happening in the world and it can keep you pretty busy. But I want to encourage you to take some time and devote it to your spiritual growth. I know God wants to do something in your life and I'm excited for you to discover exactly what that is. Come join me for a worship service at Crossroads Community Church Online so I can share the Bible with you. Join me online at crossroadschurch.net or find me on Facebook Live. We're so glad we can be a part of your life through the ministry of Jesus is Real Radio. Would you like to be a part of what we're doing? We would like to ask that you prayerfully consider becoming a financial partner of this program. Your contribution, no matter the size, will be used to reach people with the gospel message. Find out more at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Thank you for partnering with us. Make sure to tune in again as Pastor Daniel will share from the book of Revelation, chapter 10. He'll be getting away from demons, scorpion locusts, and demons to edible books. (laughs) You'll hear more about the Apostle John's visions as God shows John what's going to happen at the end of time. Pastor Daniel will be talking about what to do when God doesn't give you an answer to things in your life that are important to you. There's more to come from Pastor Daniel's series, A Year of Revelation. Please glance at the clock right now. Make plans to join us again for another edition of Jesus Is Real Radio.